You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello and welcome to the show. It's episode 350. How did that happen? That's crept up on me. Um, There's a bit of a chat with Matt at the beginning of this episode as to whether or not it would be 350. And uh, I have to say it was recorded a couple of months ago, so uh, I'd completely forgotten about that. What a happy coincidence. Perennial open spot Matt Ewins joins us today. Still technically an open mic, um, seeing as he has uh, a sort of a... A consultancy day job. He has no plans to leave. But come on. I mean, there are few acts out there. I can think of very few acts who, for me, are a permanent appointment to view. What a weaselly phrase. But I have seen Matt multiple times at, I think I've seen all of his shows at Edinburgh, apart from the very first one. He makes me cry and howl with laughter. He hates interviews. He didn't want to do this. Um, he's mostly doing it to promote Microscope, which is his, his podcast with John Kearns, which is excellent. Um, and so you should all download Microscope to thank him for coming on this. Um, I've been trying to get him on the on the podcast for a long time, and he is he is not as tight lipped as he could have been. Uh, he clearly, I mean, he you, you will discover in the episode, he sits there with a piece of paper in front of him that says, mention no names. And I think it said, uh, your opinions only apply to yourself. Like he literally had a thing and he would tap it. Every time he found himself about to say someone else's name, he'd tap it and go, no, no. Um, it's But it's not blood from a stone. He's got a lot to say. And I mean, the best place to start with his work, I think, given that you can't see him live right now at the time of recording, is have a look at some of his stuff on YouTube on Harry Hill's Club Night, because it gives you a really slick, trimmed version of... Hey, I tell you what, the best place to see him is on previous episodes. He's done The Infinite Sofa before, twice, and I think those are still floating about the internet, so find them at youtube.com slash comcompod, or indeed at twitch.tv slash Goldsmith. It, you've never seen such a machine gun of screamingly funny video one-liners, effectively. Um, I couldn't be more of a fan of his work. And there's half an hour of extra content getting more into depth, uh, more into detail on it, available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. But here to celebrate episode 350 is Matt Ewins. Can we begin with your notes? Don't mention any names, because <laughs> let me tell you, Goldsmith, there's a, there's a shit list that I want to get through at one point <laughs> in my life, but I appreciate it. it's not a soapbox for that. Your opinions only apply to yourself. Very good to remember. I've got some very regressive opinions. <laughs> 
about a lot of mental health that I must recognise are true only of me and not a lot of people that are struggling. Uh, and also plug my podcast, which is the sole reason why I've come on this. <laughs> I've been trying to get you on this show for a long time, and you, like, I even... I think the, the time when I managed to finally convince you was about a year ago when I told you that we could bill it as an open spot special. <laughs> I want to be that, that. I want to be revered as like a god. I don't want to do like what episode are you on now? Uh, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be something like three hundred and forty. Yeah, exactly. Something like what a loser score. Well, I remember, why, don't I, why don't I save it for three hundred and fifty? Well, that's the. I want to be on one of the hundreds. To be honest, <laughs> you know when you said years ago that was it your hundredth or two hundredth? You had um, Stuart Lee do it. Yeah. And he gave you a reading list of eight books that you had to read before you did it. <laughs> I want to do like the thousandth one, but you can't read for a year. <laughs> That's my big plan. <laughs> Only then are you ready to, to interview me. I, uh, you are, do you, are you technically still an open spot? Big time. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm one of the country's most successful open spots. <laughs> you have been going for how long? Uh, I started my first gig at least October 2008 Is that your first gig as you or was that the first gig with the Bristol troupe that you went to the Edinburgh Festival with? Oh I did no that's a good point yeah so that would have been a year beforehand so I did improv for a year only because I fancied one of the girls in the troupe (laughs) Um, (laughs) which was unrequited Uh, and then went to yeah fuck went to Edinburgh in 2008 Nine, it would have been. But I must have started comedy because I was also in the Chalk Student Comedy Award uh, that year. Which I watched earlier on today. Did you? Yes. That's all right, isn't it? I mean, it's a great research. And it is good for you. It is all right. Most people are like, oh, cringing. Oh, they can't bear to think of it. There's some funny jokes in there. Yeah, but... Do you remember there's a joke where you go, um, the date was a disaster because we went to a gay nightclub and I hate nightclubs well, and it was a, so you yeah, that's, a, that's a bit regressive Goldsmith <laughs> it was very funny because it played with uh, uh, you know it did a it did a very you thing I've been thinking this morning of the sorts of things that are that are quintessentially you yes and one of them is sort of the well, you say one of them, the sole trick I have is to make people think that I'm saying something and then it's something else. <laughs> and whenever I try and riff a joke to my girlfriend, she's like, oh, that wasn't what you thought it was. And I'm like, yes, that's the dynamic. <laughs> and I'll try and make a career out of that for as long as I can get away with it. I, wh- which way round should we do this? Because I want to... Uh, do you like plan you- this? Do you research people beforehand? Or you yes. just throw it? Okay, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, mate. <laughs> Why are you sorry? I've listened to some of them and I, you know, I, I do enjoy it. You, I've probably seen you more than any other comic, I think. No. In terms of your, I will regularly see your Edinburgh shows twice. Do you? Yeah. That's very kind of you. Yeah. I'll explain the sales. <laughs> Despite your best efforts <laughs> yeah, to yeah, make yeah. them impossible to find, uh, to lie about the title, to send in images of someone else for the press releases, all that kind of, despite your best efforts, and we'll get on to that, I've seen some two, two and sometimes three times. And I haven't, like, I remember, the only other person I've really done that with was Simon Munnery back in, like, the mid, well, no, not the mid-90s, the early noughties, when I was kind of going up to the, the fringe a lot and seeing him several times. And I was wondering, I was thinking why that is. And it's, I think it's because, it's for a number of reasons, part of it is that you are not, obviously it's, there's a joke rate, there's a gag rate, you've got brilliant jokes, your verbal jokes are really funny, You've got the vid, like you've got video skills out hitherto unseen at the fringe. Is that fair? I remember the first one I saw was was it Bruce Hammer's Banana Apocalypse? Banana Apocalypse. <clears throat> yeah, and I remember I, th- I came out of it and I was like, I've never seen anyone do that. 
Yeah, with video. Maybe at the time, but you watch YouTube nowadays and you've got people putting incredible content out for free. And I've just got a pirated copy of After Effects that I will pay for at some point and just made a few little shitload animations. I don't think it's not the, the next big thing, is it? It's just, it's fine. Did it feel at the time like it could be the next big thing? No, never. I've just uh, did these things to amuse myself more than anything. Anyway, you were praising me. What was your, what was your, <laughs> your reports? It isn't the reason you come and see me. It's because it's moderately interesting, but you don't find it threatening because it's not it's not what you do. And I think that's probably true of why a that's lot of not people. True it is. It is. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> okay. Let me let me analyse that. Let me assess that. I certainly don't find it threatening because I could never do it. But that's, that's my point. That's my I point. don't find it. That's not the reason I come and see it. Right. It is... Uh, well, that's an interesting perspective because I find often the stuff that I really want to go and see is stuff I would never do. So I'm just going to be confronted by that for a moment. Is it because I find it less threatening? No, it's because I find it less boring. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm definitely not going to be bored for a single second of one of your hours. Sure, well, that's very kind. And that's because there's a lot going on and you're amazing at doing like the kind of ultra rug pull. Where you go... <laughs> That's not what you think it is. <laughs> when you, which you referred to just now, which is the thing where you... Uh you say two things and then something that's wildly not the exactly. thing you're expecting. Exactly. And it's it's the, the person does X, but then Y happens. It's, yeah. It's that. Um, so to give an example of that, the example I give when I'm telling someone they should go and see you is when you, in the middle of whichever show it was, a few years ago, said... Um, you sort of suddenly changed the energy and you said, so uh, this this today would have been my uh, would have been my brother's birthday. And this, I'll tell my butchered version of it. I'll probably get the words. I, mean, I, I, I don't remember it. Say, today, today would have been my brother's birthday if he hadn't been born on the 6th of March. But he is dead. He is still dead. And that, to me, that always makes people laugh because yes. it is such a kind of right hook of our assumptions, right? It's a, it's. I hope so. I mean, I hope also there was an element of comic timing in its initial delivery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, so, I, okay, that's it. That, that's why I love coming to see you, because... Your stuff surprises even me as an <laughs> avid viewer of comedy and fellow comic. It's really hard to surprise comedians, right? Comedians love coming to see you because you manage to surprise even comedians. Which is nice, but like that, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a, a, a good career if you're just sort of plug, you know, doing stuff to your mates. And I, you know, I don't mention names. <laughs> but like, if you run a gig where it's just sort of alt and quirky, I don't think that that's not a success in my head. A victory is making as many people laugh as possible, and not pandering, but being as funny as you as you can be. So, do you think the last time I saw you in Soho, it was so exciting because you had a big crowd in the room and they were all laughing at everything. Yes. And I've been, I've seen you in situations which were not that. Like, you know what I mean? I've <laughs> what seen you, what you're talking about? I've seen you with no one in the room. Yeah. I've seen you with, you know, uh, like on a late, what was it, Just the Tonic one? Was that, that was Bruce Hammer, when like, you know, half the room were... Don't need them. Don't need them there. <laughs> they were, you know, I've seen you in environments where people haven't got it or haven't been fast enough. Because it's not just about... Of course, we've all seen old comedy where it's just there for the other people who want to be studi and be yes. stroke about old comedy. The reason comics go to see you is that the jokes are so good that they make even comics laugh. Those are two wholly different oh, things. Oh, yeah, OK. Well, that, it's true. That's nice. Yeah. So 
with that in mind, what's the what's that build up for a question for? I feel like there should be a question at the end of that. Because I'm it, not it, just here to. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just solely here to butter you up. But how much of that from? So let's talk about that Soho gig from from starting off doing your thing to very few people. Yeah. To doing it to people and Jesus, researching this morning, I watched those. I watched the two Harry Hill Club Night clips and oh, tips yeah, yeah, yeah. things that are online. And don't have a huge number of views, but are Do they just. Not? Don't, no, tell don't tell me that, guys. So. I don't think so. <laughs> I've not watched them. <laughs> they are, but I was crying laughing with both of them. Oh, you, thanks, man. You, I mean, and I don't do that very often. So, to how does it feel to to have got like? Do you feel okay? You're you're still technically a hobbyist because you've still got a you know a, a well paid specialized day job. Fine. Do you feel like a success in terms of the work, given that you have grown an audience over time? Yeah, obviously. Yeah, of course you do. Because it's, it's getting better. I never minded at the start of, the, of this, this process of, of doing comedy that the numbers were quiet because you're like, I'm still working things out. And I'm happy to spend, you know, five, ten, however many years it's going to be until you can work out how to be you and also be good. But, I mean, and the reason why I'm doing this now is because I'm like, oh, shit, I don't have any presence online or anywhere, and I do need to plug this podcast that <laughs> I've spent fucking ages making with Kearns. So you sort of go, oh, there was an element where maybe I should have done Twitter properly, you know, <laughs> and built that up as well as building up the act. Because you, well, let's 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 put a pin in social media for now because I do want to talk to you about how you have... Issued every, it's like almost to you. The joke has been, you know, when you sent in a picture of another comic for your Guardian, yeah. you know, glittering Many, Guardian, a lot, lot of newspapers, Stu. <laughs> and that's always been part of why other comics love you because you don't seem to give a fuck about the rules. Mm. So I'm interested to hear that. Maybe now you're going. Oh, maybe if I'd, you know, done social media properly or done some of those things you're not supposed to do. I can't imagine you ever having done that. Though. No, no, no. And I don't. I don't regret. Uh, I don't regret that at all. I thought it was funny at the time. Well, maybe I, I do regret maybe annoying <laughs> mates <laughs> sending their pictures in. It's a very tricky. It's a very tricky <laughs> line to sort of balance because uh, you had to try. I just sort of find pictures where they were good enough press shots, but they weren't famous enough. But <laughs> people would clock on, uh, and I think people were annoyed that they fell into that category. Um, but to get to your point in terms of, and I don't regret any actions or behaviours, I guess now I'm just sort of going, I would like to accelerate the process with a few projects, so what do I what do? I do? And one of them has been doing this, and I'm sure I'll put a £5 advert on Chortle for my podcast. <laughs> and that'll be, I'll dust my hands, and that'll be something well plugged, in my opinion. <laughs> so talk to me about the... That process of discovering yourself. Did you know in advance? It sounds like you knew in advance when you're doing uh, Gagtanamo Bay, which was your first show. Just tell us briefly about the concept of Gagtanamo Bay. I've got the flyer somewhere around here. Um, Gagtanamo, do you want to find it? Yeah, go on, go on. Oh, bloody hell. Oh, get out. And just while you're going to find it, I'll leave this in because it's quite sort of interesting. We, we can all try and get out how far away your flyers are from your sofa. <laughs> but the other thing I meant to say at the beginning as well was um, I remembered, I looked at like a really old note I'd made like years ago thinking, oh, I'll get you in on the podcast someday and we'll, I'll remember to talk about this. It was, there was a thing on SoundCloud where you were being interviewed 
Yes. And you were talking bollocks about your... You were, you were selling the interviewer on a show you were doing about ants. Yeah, I've not yeah, heard yeah, it in yeah. years. And I remember thinking, oh, that'll be a fun interview because I'll need to trust him not to... Uh... <laughs> oh, my God, look at this. Gaetano Bain, this credits Duncan Hargreaves, Oliver Potatoes and Ipswich Brunel. <laughs> I'm too old to chuckle this hard. I think I might now have laugh-ritis. And that's credited to Biff Biff Poltergeist from forums.giggles.com. Um, and you've got you've got actors on the front who are playing Duncan Hargreaves, Oliver Potatoes, and Ipswich Brunel, and it is to all intents and purposes. If you don't look too hard, it's a completely standard mixed advert, bill show, a triple mixed bill, <laughs> triple header, header free fringe, fringe. Yeah. triple header. And then what would happen when the audience arrived? So the premise was, well, basically, I, you know, the premise was that I would say it's a triple header. Please come along. They'd sit themselves down and I'd say... I have to try and remember this myself now. I would say that, unfortunately, Duncan... Uh, no, I would play Duncan. But I would say that potato, Olive Potatoes and Ipswich Brunel had died. They'd been caught up in some sort of helicopter accident at Waverley Station. But the show has to go on. So as a tribute to them, I've got some other people to come down and put on like a little tribute show. So we had a TV chef, we had uh, a little improv troupe, and we had a poet who would do uh, sets and I would compare as a tribute to Oliver and Ipswich. So I got these three acts to come down, but then I said, but those three acts have also died. So the show was me doing impressions of that latter set of three as a tribute to the first original Dead 2. And I mean, it worked maybe twice. It worked maybe twice. And what were you getting audiences? Yeah, lots of Americans, because they thought it was a... And it says on the flyer, there's some pretty hardcore satire in there. (laughs) It was fun because... I did it under a pseudonym because I thought it might go wrong. And then I was in a pub years after. Who was it? I think it was Pierre Novelli. He was talking to someone about how he once saw this guy called Duncan Hargreaves years ago but never been able to find him again since, despite looking. And then someone went, that's Ewins, he's over there. (laughs) He's literally standing there. (laughs) (laughs) So when you were doing that, because that is the sort of nuts project that some comics might have the idea for and then, do you mean... uh, Comics are all fond of sitting around in pubs, having a laugh, having a drink, and going, wouldn't it be funny if someone did this? Yes. And then everyone falls about and cries laughing, and you go, well, obviously no one's ever going to bother doing that. So when did you have the idea for that? And how did, like, talk to me about what process there was coming into that. Was it a case of having the idea yourself, and then making a flyer and thinking, I'll do this then? Or what? In what order did so, it go? So, well, it came about from... <laughs> having, this is such a weird thing to say, but having an odd number of mates, or maybe an even number of mates, because you remember when you're sort of like, you're starting a start-up, and you've done the fringe maybe once, or you're starting to do double-headers. Everyone had paired up, so Finn had paired up with my mate Jared, Matt Richardson had paired up with, what was his name, Alex, Clissold, Jones, and there was basically, I was by myself, okay. and there was a mad lad in Bristol, I don't think you'll remember him, and I shouldn't name names, but... He said, oh, we'll do a double-header together. And okay. he was a, a lunatic. Tell me his name and we'll bleep it. Uh, so I basically said I was doing the fringe by myself to get out of that. And then I was trying to think, what would I do if I was going to do a solo show? Because obviously you're ca- I can't. So I just thought I'd do a triple-header, but do a spoof version as, as best I could. Just to hover on that for a minute, you, you could do a solo show, but obviously you can't. Why obviously you can't? Because in my head, I, and this is sort of when I'm starting to do the more sillier stuff, the idea of writing an hour of conventional stand-up, and it'd be good, 
is a huge task. I've got a lot of respect for people that can go up there year in, year out and do an hour of jokes. Whereas, do, do you? Yeah, of course I do. Do you, is that like a platitude? Do you actually respect people who do regular jokes? Absolutely. Absolutely. If, the, if, they're, if they're good and interesting, and maybe that's the distinction. Okay. Because, I mean, maybe we'll get on to it. I'm sure we've had a conversation. Was it you or maybe I just listened to you interviewing someone where they said that every time they write a joke for the audience, they write a joke for themselves, which I find such a baffling concept. <laughs> I don't, I've I don't never remember written a joke for the audience. <laughs> if I don't find it funny, I won't do it. But, and, and, you know, conversely, if I do it and people don't laugh, I'll stop. But yeah, I've never yeah, done yeah. anything that I don't find funny. When we were starting years ago, doing an open spot, and going through my notes and laughing, and the, I can't remember who it was, the cl- open or close of the gig was like, you're laughing at your own stuff. And I'm like, yeah, fucking course, pal. What are you doing up there? <laughs> but then I... maybe that's why, that's this hobbyist thing, is that I've always treated it as a fun little thing rather than a, a genuine bit of employment. Because I guess if you were laughing at the same stuff every weekend for years, you would be, you would be mad. Ah, that's interesting, yes. Because that is very laudable, that idea. And you know, that kind of speaks to the sort of the freshness and the immediacy of what you do and the sort of... Like, oh, freshness and immediacy. What the fuck am I talking about? The funniness of it. Do you know what I mean? You're fucking funny. You've just got funny bones. And you... I'm Like, of course you would want to make yourself laugh. And of course that would be... a If that's what you're going for, if what you're going for is not uh, wealth or fame or acclaim... Oh, or, it is all those things. I'll just, I'll just do, I'll <laughs> well, enjoy myself time, at the same time. Every time I've said to you... Um, why don't you? I really want to recommend you for gigs. Why don't you have a club twenty that just yeah, yeah, always yeah. kills? Because you've got ten hours to choose from and refine a thing. And you've always said, "Oh yeah, I'd love, I'd love to have that." But you wouldn't love to have no. that because if you did love to have that, you would have it. Yes. So you. So if the, so, what is it that you want? Is it to entertain yourself first and foremost? No, not at all. Because that's that's lunacy, isn't it? Um, I want to entertain as many people as possible, but I don't want to do that in a form that I don't also enjoy myself. Or yes, get OK. Have you ever done that? When, if you look back to like 10 or 11 years ago, that chortle thing when you're doing straight jokes, um, did, you, did you get bored of doing straight jokes or did you simply not accelerate to the speed you want? started to get bored of it, but also like to re- I sort of started doing more anecdote stuff and it just didn't feel genuine. I remember one of the worst deaths I had was not because it necessarily was... You know, people weren't laughing because I've had that a lot. But someone just at the back shouted out while I was sat telling some embellished anecdote. They just went, this isn't true. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and then I did something I thought I'd never do before. Or, you know, yeah, that sort right. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the artificial jeopardy of going, yeah, then, exactly. then the funniest thing ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that. And then I just like, fuck this. I'll just do something silly, I think, going forward. Do you... Do you kind of uh, look down on that kind of hackery? That sort of... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know why I'm doing that. Those kind of tricks. Though that, that particular turn of phrase, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I don't mind tricks because it's just the, the grammar in which a lot of you know, jokes are made up of. But that particular one can go fuck itself. <laughs> the, which is the, the fake mistake of, the of fake like doing, are, doing a bad act out, a bad, a bad mime and then calling yourself on it. Yeah, stuff like that is, it always hackles me a little bit. But no, the, the particular turn of phrase of going, and that's, what is it? That's when I said... That's oh, what I said no, something the, I thought I'd never say. Yeah, the worst example I think is, um, or the most distillate example is, and then my mate said the funniest thing I've ever heard. 
you know what I mean? And because that that even takes it out of your own mouth. It's like reported comedy, but the 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 by artificial jeopardy. I mean, rather than saying I saw an old man, he fell over. The comic will go, I saw an old man, and then he suddenly did the funniest thing I've ever seen. He fell over, and it just rhythmically improves yeah, I, I what's think, a bullshit joke. But that, but at least there, I guess at least something more was being offered. The the the, the preface of just saying, and then I said something I never thought I'd say. I just <laughs> I don't know. That, oh, that I see. Well, yeah, that is different. That is yeah, that's very much its own thing. Then I said something I thought, and then I, oh, I've been guilty of, and then I heard myself say, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the worst! Exactly, it's just I'm it's to needless foreplay for what should be the joke. Mm. Just good point, no foreplay with you, Ins. Yeah. No foreplay. Get stuck in. It's all just joke, 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 joke. I'm, I just kind of uh, walked back from that analogy. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? That concept, Gantanamo Bay. And I'm fascinated with the, the self-belief. Like, if it's making you laugh, was it making them laugh as well enough that you went, this is a career, I'm going to give 15 years to this? Uh, ten, 10 years, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, it definitely went well enough, enough of the time. That was, not a, that was not a successful year, but I was doing other shows and that sort of paid for the accommodation. What other shows were you doing? Oh, I was just helping out Mark Alva, my landlord, out with uh, <laughs> his play. Uh, oh, was that the death of a... Death of a clown. Death of a clown. That was that year, OK. I'm trying to make sure I've got a note about that. I think your opinions only apply to yourself might cover me. <laughs> and I think you might listen to this, so it was a good show. And it won Best New Show at the Leicester... Comedy festival. <laughs> Continued accommodation secured. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I drank myself because that, that show was on at like half past. What was it? Sound there? Half one. Half one. So it would not do well most days, and then I'd get hammered for. A... Always drinking, never drunk. Matt Ewing's in yeah, the I've festival. Yeah, a weird tolerance for it, haven't I? Huh. I think I've got worms. <laughs> there must be something in me that, that drinks it up also. When did you... Given that the premise of that, is of, of Gagtanamo Bay, was explicitly lying to the audience about a supposed premise, right? Like, when you say lots of Americans came, not to impugn the uh, intelligence of American well, fringe-goers. Well, it's called Gagtanamo Bay, I Sure, think. but did anyone, did anyone fall for it? Did anyone genuinely think the cast have died and then the tribute cast have also died? Yeah, I got, um, <laughs> uh, I got like, reviews... Saying really gutted that uh, the, the, some of them had, couldn't make it or had died. Um, I got well, I was flying for it. This this sounds like I've made this up. This is true. I was flying for it. Some family came up to me and they said, "Sorry, is this Oliver Potatoes' venue?" And I went, "Yeah." And they were like, "Oh, great, great, great." And I was like, "This does something very wrong." And I was like, "But you know, I've, I said you you know I've made him up, and he's not actually in the show." And they went, "Oh." And they didn't come. So, <laughs> I don't know if like he was an act from like before. I, I mean, mean I, I think we, it, are you going to take a picture of the back of the flight? Because oh yeah, because so what have you said about Oliver Potatoes? Do you, do Oliver you think Potatoes, the anti-comedian's anti-comedian, a finalist of the Ashbourne New Act of the Year competition on only his 127th gig, <laughs> and a huge hit in his local Derbyshire, 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 where his hilarious character Robert Mudarby is everyone's favourite dictator. With minimal patience for the Westfield Derby, the Derby Arboretum, or Derby County FC, Oliver is a must-see act for anyone from Derby. They must have been from Derby. <laughs> and the quote, he bloody hates Derby, from Mercury Bender. I'm not sure if that's a, a person or a publication. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that does made up, but I do, that does sound made up, but I do believe it. Um, so, I suppose w- what I'm getting at is, 
your so was this the kind of the seeds of your desire to I don't want to say not play by the rules, but not do all the, you know, but to submit pictures of other people. And it's always been wrong footing, not just the audience, but the wider audience, you know, the fringe itself, the organisations, the agencies, you know. Yeah, I think it's a combination of wanting to be funny, but also not a desire to not fail. And if you define your own rules, you can't, you can't lose, can you? Well, this is it. I can't tell if you're incredibly confident or... You're incredibly anxious about failure. Well, this is this is something that a lot of people have, have said to me, and I'm I think I'm irritatingly exactly fifty percent of both. <laughs> but I'm the most arrogant, self-loathing man, and what what an awful concoction uh, of traits that is. Am I talking about my my theory about the threshold? This no, is such come a, on, this come is on. such a cunt theory. I've got a viewpoint that I am the I am the threshold in comedy, and that if you're funnier than me, you'll probably make it. If you're not funnier than me, you should probably stop. But I don't know on what side of the line I am. <laughs> I know I'm not doing very well at the moment, but I might do. <laughs> but you lot <laughs> will be fine. I don't know. I can't. I mean, I don't know. I for me that doesn't hold water simply because I've, you're one of the people I've laughed most at. Like I can't think of. I, I don't think there's. I don't think it's fifty-fifty. I don't think there's half comedians are are funnier than you. Yeah, but the but that thing about laughter is is it that that's uh, although it feels like it should be that's not the main currency of what it is we do because you never laugh more than you never make an audience member laugh more than their mate will down at the pub. So what we do is a very specialised form of of laughter, and it has to be both. It has to be funny, of course, but it has to have a an element of a commercial value, unfortunately. And uh, hopefully, I can approach that without compromising. What a fucking stupid sentence that is. No, 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 that makes perfect sense. I was completely following that. You can, you want to be commercially successful, but without being commercially successful. That's the, that's the yeah, challenge, isn't so. it? Because I think that, uh, I put it to you, Matt Ewins, that on some level, if you become successful, you'll feel disappointed. No, no, I disagree. I, well, I think, no, I disagree. I, because the, the whole purpose of this is trying to sort of demonstrate that you've got, not necessarily value, but that you're a fun person worth listening to. And I think I, think I would be more sad if it wasn't getting better year in, year out. Yes, yes, fair enough. And it definitely is doing that. And those Harry Hill Club Night uh not doing, well on, not doing well on I'm, YouTube. I'm really sorry I mentioned that. It may be that I didn't see the official channel and I just saw somebody ripped yeah, them and put exactly. them somewhere else. Daily motion. <laughs> um, they work. They are what you do put on telly in a way that when you think of a lot of acts who have a kind of fringe madness quality that then make the move to TV and don't manage to replicate the sort of sweaty madness aspect of it, you know, the like... When when things fall apart and are crap, it's not on purpose. It's great in a fringe festival. It doesn't work on TV a lot of the time. Sure, but those tips and clips, or whatever they're called, clips and tips, they are the like it's that's the perfect place for you. It's the perfect version of you for TV. Did you feel that doing them? Um, I enjoyed it a lot. It, having an auto cue is one of the one of the most luxurious experiences of my life. I really noticed that because it was the best performance I've ever seen yeah, you give. Because you weren't stumbling over things, fiddling oh, with technology. All right, mate. No, no, no. <laughs> do you know what I mean? No. But like, part of the joy of watching you live is that it's you versus the show. Yes. And this, it, it made me aware that the joy of watching you versus the show isn't fundamental. It's not necessary. You can just see you do the show really well, say the jokes really well, 
without the technical hitches and the fuck-ups and the kind of crowd work where you're, <laughs> yeah, you know, fixing something. either fixing something or dealing with the fact that people don't like it. And that's another element of it. You, I wondered, have you, in an almost Stuart Lee kind of way, I think in the last couple of years I have seen you frame a chunk of the audience as not enjoying it so you've got something to fight when actually they have been enjoying it. I don't mean that. Don't, do you think? I don't, I've not consciously done that. I think the more, after your nomination, the following year, you that got year really was, busy no, and sh- everyone was enjoying it. And you, were, uh, you seemed to me to be a bit wrong-footed because you were like, ah, oh, the, the, the performance is predicated on the assumption that it's all crashing and burning. No, I don't think... I know what you mean. I can understand why you would think that. The, the problem I had, I think, is that that year, the, the 2017 year that was nominated, was in such a nice venue, and then I went to a slightly smaller, slightly shitter venue for various reasons the next year, and I just wasn't... Half the seats were empty because they couldn't fit more people in the room legally, even though it was capacity of 200, they sat about 50 in there. And you're like, this is fucking shit. So I think it was more a reaction to myself than to people. I'm more than happy to cunt a gig... And to, and to do very well. I've no desire to make it shitter for myself. I, mean, I know it's fun when like the tech breaks down, but I'm more happy when it works and what I'm intending to do, you know, happens. Did so, you, God, I was going to say, did you see my 2015 show? Was it 2015? Where things went wrong, like deliberately. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So carnage. Was, was that the one with the um, you had your laptop open and then at one point it would it would start updating or it would play? No, I no, I tell you what, it was like you were. It was something like you were in the middle of a Skype call and then it, the advert played. It was no, there was some it was shutdown what, noise I at the end of your free trial. And that was it. The that free was it. Trial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It. I hadn't paid for the trial, so it kept going off. <laughs> that you need to subscribe or something. But because the show also broke anyway... <laughs> was that the Pie Factory talent competition yeah, show? Yeah, good show. Only half an hour long. What, you don't, I don't, you need a longer, longer hour. Get in, get out. Why not, why not make a show 44 minutes? Where does the... I remember you excitedly coming up to me at one point and saying, like in maybe October, November, you sort of said, oh, I've got the, uh, I've got the premise for next show. It's, uh, it's going to be on Mars. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I thought, oh... I, is that the way round you work? You go, used to there's going to be a talent show in a pie factory. Yeah. It's almost like, it seemed to me like you were giving yourself a big problem to solve as early as possible so that you would create stuff in order to solve the problem. Yeah. Give, given that you can do anything, because your palette is any piece of recorded media, any bit of video, anything, any joke, it, like, is is that difficult that you go, what's my next show? Oh, it could be anything. Is that a block creative? Absolutely. As a, as a writing exercise, why not think of some bonkers premise and then write towards it? And then inevitably you'll change stuff around. But I've stopped doing that because I don't tour a lot, but when you go to an art centre and you go, oh, hi, by the way, guys, I run a newspaper on Mars, the <laughs> acceptance of that is far greater at the fringe than it is somewhere else. Okay. So my uh, the last couple have just been, here is something about money, and I'm not the mayor of saucepans or whatever. <laughs> it's just the same stuff I do, but trying to make that premise not broader, but just a bit less weird. Like, this stuff can still be weird, but don't make the concept off-putting. Yes. So this is Matt. I mean, he's like... he's. There was a friend I had at college many years ago who was always one step ahead of me, who was always 
uh, more ironic and smarter and sort of faster than me. And they were very, very funny, but they were it was hard sometimes to hang out with them because you never quite knew if the joke was on you or not. Matt, I think, is not like that. He has qualities in common with that. It is he has such a, a comic brain that I find it hard to keep up and absolutely love being in his presence. But I just I find it hard to keep up and, and I find it hard to keep up with his comedy, which is why it's so exciting for a comic who has. I mean, let's face it, if you work in comedy or even if you're a super fan and you've seen hundreds of hours of comedy, as I know some of you have, you might find that it's hard to surprise you. It's hard for a joke to surprise you. And that is what Matt absolutely excels at. It is not, as he presupposes, it's not simply that I don't find his work threatening because it's so different to what I do. It is that I just roll over like a little animal having its tummy tickled when I see his incredibly fast-paced kind of ultra-rug-pulling comedy because he just gets to the punchline faster than I can and in a more surprising way than I can as a viewer, I mean. You know, even even some brilliant comics out there, there's always an element of surprise with jokes, but as a, a comic or comedy fan, we know you can watch that stuff and and go, well, I see where this is going, and then maybe bits of it surprise you. Watching Matt Ewens' work is like being pummeled by a boxer. It's just, it comes out of nowhere. It's a flurry of punchlines. It's so unexpected. I could not be a bigger fan. And it's a joy to have him here with us for episode 350. We'll get back to it in a second. Suffice to say, um, just a couple of things. Of course, if you go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, you can find another half hour of stuff from Matt. We'll talk about some of his appearances on Harry Hill's Club Night. We'll talk about social media. We'll talk about why his phone is only WAP enabled. We'll talk about chaos control and uh, the fact that his video editing skills skills are becoming increasingly democratised as apps now. You know, TikTok, you can take video and hack it to bits and overlay things on it and what that means to someone like him who works in the medium of uh, interesting and unusual technical ability. All of that available if you're a member of the Insiders Club. And I know many of you are, and people are signing up all the time. It's nice. After the time we had off, people are returning to the Insiders Club um, after a lean period where I wasn't uh, putting out much content. So it's nice. If you're someone who has joined up recently, thank you very much. Recent signer-uppers to the Insiders Club include Varun Bhatia, Alison Smith, Stephen Quick, Rachel Brock, Ruby Muscroft, Mark Jennings, Pete Can, Danny Butcher and Natalie Lance. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart for joining. Welcome. And uh, if you would like to join them, comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. And just to say, on the subject of anniversaries, this is our 350th ComCom, which is bananas, but there it is. And uh, the Infinite Sofa celebrated its six-month anniversary last night. It was show 41. Uh, we started precisely six months ago. And what better way to celebrate than with Alexis Strum, Tom Ward and the wonderful Tim Vine. Tim was, I think, one of the very best headliners, headline guests we've had on that show. Remember, it's not just, it's not a comedy show. People aren't, it's a comedy show, but people aren't doing their sets. It's a comedy chat show. And Tim brought his A-game we all played pen behind the ear and he even coached people in how to visually deliver some of his one-liners. So if you fancy checking that out, go to youtube.com slash comcompod uh, or you can find it still in the videos section. You can find it now for a week or two at least at twitch.tv slash Goldsmith. The Infinite Sofa goes out at 9pm Mondays and you can find out everything you need at infinitesofa.com. 
And finally, finally, I've got so many things that I hate to sit and self-promote, but I have to sit and self-promote. Go to comedyinsights.com. I am now taking bookings for my uh, talks on what your business, what your employees, staff, or even CEOs. I addressed 35 CEOs with a net business kind of not worth what's the phrase a net but i'm not very businessy <laughs> but the thing is still good um something like they control 70 billion quids worth of stuff i talk to you and your employees about uh what comedy can teach you in terms of resilience authenticity creativity problem solving all those sorts of things based on these 350 interviews and uh, they're available now. So check out comedyinsights.com. I'm, I've soft launched it. This is the second part of the soft launch where I get loads of people have been in touch on Facebook already to, to show interest. And um, I'm going to be firing out loads of uh, kind of ancillary promotional material for that soon. So comedyinsights.com or info at comedianscomedian.com if you'd like to know more. Let's get back to the opposite of a corporate presentation on what you can learn from comedy. It's Matt Ewins. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Talk to me about touring. I, what you do in, in art centres in a very loose sense. Uh, Every, everyone is. Everyone's in time. Well, I mean, these days people put you know, I mean, three I, club gigs on a, on a yeah, gift. I just and did, go, it, did, it, did it in London, did it in Bristol, and I did it in uh, Salford. That was it. <laughs> Every time I was in like, the Lowry. In the Lowry. How in, was the Lowry? In a very small studio. It was all right. But I played I, the very small studio. Uh, I had not taken... I think it was the medium-sized studio, actually, now I think about it. I um, <laughs> I hadn't taken my laptop charger. And so 40 minutes of videos, and then the last 20 minutes it died, and I had to just riff. And it was one of the most <laughs> terrifying experiences. I mean, it was fun. I just did a an impression of um, my landlord, Mark Olver, doing his comparing and asking people how far they'd come <laughs> to the gig. Um, but uh, I preferred that the videos had worked. So if I think of the, some of the premises, I remember the one where you... Was it... Um, there was a countdown and you had to... It was like a sort of James Bond thing. That was the 20... Fucking hell, what year was that? That was the spy one, 2014. The spy one. The bits that stand out for me were a pre-recorded bit with Kearns where they were rebuilding you and you showed that by they were pushing some batteries into a pack of mints. Yeah. And then Kearns shouting, you need to be clearer with me, which me and my wife still shout at each other. Um, do you know, did you, how, did you see that show? Well, <laughs> the thing about that show is it had that countdown. And so the I, countdown was fixed. The countdown was fixed. So it was a real... It wasn't like a video of a countdown. It was a real countdown that went from 55 minutes down to zero to try and find this bomb. Um, but it meant that by the end, if there was longer than about a minute on the clock, it, what an awful conclusion. I had to once... It was the final part of the show. Normally there's 30 seconds left of just a bit of chat before we wrap it up. Bringing the countdown up on screen, and there was 12 minutes left. <laughs> Again, I had to sort of just riff, ask people what they'd done that day, and the ending wasn't strong enough to warrant that. 
because it was about trying to find a bomb in the venue. And I think I just went, oh, look, it's under your chair. That's the end of the show. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Which, were livid. But those things, but they weren't livid. People weren't livid because the audience were there to see you and we love you and what you do. And if it's, it's a shame if it's only 48 minutes of videos and sketches and dicking around rather than an hour. Mm. But I don't, do you think people were livid? Yeah, like I, a, couple I wondered... pe- a couple of people were not happy about the, the conclusion. I mean, they enjoyed the show, like you say, but when your whole premise is about trying to find a bomb in the yeah, venue okay, and it's just enough. underneath someone's chair, people are going to get annoyed you didn't think about more a bit more about the ending. You did a show where you were different characters, different stand-ups from different characters from history. Yeah, I think that was the year before. One of which was a space rocket. <laughs> well, I did a Apollo 13 as a sort of Australian shock comment. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they were different types. What was Cleopatra? Cleopatra was Joan Rivers. Henry VIII was a sort of, um, like, from the comedians, that sort of area, Bernard Manning or um, who else was in the comedians, doesn't matter. And I did the Vitruvian Man of Seinfeld trying to do, the, the premise basically being that everyone in history had done stand-up. Those kinds of huge premises, you you come up with one and you go, yep, that... Like, what's the thinking? How do you know when you've got a good premise? What premises do you... What premises for shows have you ever discarded? Oh, I had one. After Gagtanamo Bay, I wanted to do a follow-up where it was me interviewing all the ghosts of people that had died. <laughs> and my, my flatmate at the time was like... That is not a good idea, and I I did agree with him in the end, because I, because it was no one saw that show and then to go yeah, okay, remember yeah. what happened last year. So when you're what other kind of how do you know when you've got a good premise that you'll get good? It doesn't stuff matter out? because it's an exercise for writing. So you might think of an idea in September, and again, like, this is not how I write anymore. But you start putting stuff on paper, and then suddenly it turns out that. That doesn't necessarily make any sense. Okay. So the the pie factory was going to be, what was the so the pie the, the that 2015 show was supposed to be, I'm doing a talent show in a pie factory and here are different things that people were going to do to try and win the talent show. That had a huge plot and an overarching sort of conclusion where they were going to run on. And in the end, I was like, oh, I can't be asked with this. <laughs> I'll get rid of that. Probably shouldn't have done because that's the show that ran at 30 minutes. But I'm interested that you say that it is it's. The premises of the show start life as purely a writing prompt. Yeah, more or less. And also, like, something to talk about in the bars of Edinburgh where people say, what are you doing next year? Well, you won't believe this. I'm going to go to Mars. <laughs> yeah, OK. Um, so is there... Do you, get, do you get trapped in them? Can you look back at it now and kind of go, that was definitely a stronger premise than that one? And, you know, show A was better than show B. And is it worth, retrospectively, is it worth saying to yourself, coming up with a premise as a writing exercise is a writing exercise? Like, maybe maybe, maybe if you came up with ten premises and spent two days writing each one and then picked the best one... Yeah, that might be a better way of operating. <laughs> that would be a different but that's way. More, that's more like what I do now in terms okay. of just pick a topic. But I, it's a, what was your question? You are saying, like... Is it fiddly come up with these premises? Well, and do some work better than others. Yeah, naturally. But I think... I mean, they've all come from a similar mentality of... The show's always been about adventure and trying to, you know, trying to do better or succeed or demonstrate um, that you're worth listening to. So maybe the reason why that particular one 
was it the 27 the, the the adventure man one got nominated was because that was explicitly about adventure and that maybe the premise wasn't so left field from the the emotion the emotion from the the sort of thrust of what the show was trying to convey because they've all been about trying to do better like there was one you know a talent show or trying to do a gig or showing that other comedians are good from from the past they're all driven from that core tenant of emotion i think which is to sort of yeah, to do something fun and do something exciting. And I think, yeah, the ones that do better are the ones that don't depart from that too madly and aren't about running a newspaper on Mars. But even that was about wanting to 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 go somewhere exciting. The the one that got nominated had that moment in the middle of it, the lonely boy moment, mm. where you sort of explicitly said, well, what was the bit that you would sort of say, my flatmate told me there should be some emotion in this? Yeah. And you would say, the thing is about me, I'm a lonely boy. <laughs> and, you know, and it did give it, like, it might have been flippant, flippantly given advice or very technically meant advice, because I know it was, a, it was a true story. Your flatmate had said... It, were you talking, this is the bit where I just sort of sat on a chair and Yeah, just... you, you had, like, a, par- a pastiche of the 40-minute moment where you suddenly get deep and talk about your emotions. Yes. Which made fun of that, and at the same time was that. Yeah, having your cake and eating. Yeah, it was great. A, what, an, what, a, what a good move that was. And you got nominated. Great. Only because of that bit. Yeah. How do you feel about that? For, I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> very proud of myself with that. Because, yeah, exactly. You uh, you look like you're sad, but you're not. You're glad. <laughs> so, and again, great bit of uh, that's not what you were thinking of. Swap it, switch it around at the end. Wrong for everybody. But I don't, I, I, I didn't write that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not. That's not. A, that's not a sentence. What's your next question? Were you going to talk about? Like, did you mean it cynically? Yeah, I didn't mean it cynically. I meant it more as a riposte to uh, Gad's show that had won the year before. This is Richard Gad. Who Richard, was your Gad, then flatmate. My then flatmate. Yeah, don't mention names, but he won't mind. He's a good lad. He's a good lad. He's very funny. Um, your so you'd written that as a riposte to his show. Not ex- not deliberately, but just like the- it just felt like that was because he he does big big absurd, big absurd. challenging stuff. Yeah, not absurd. He's talking about his life, <laughs> but he does. He, yeah, he ends with a lot of truth, and I thought it'd be fun to sort of approach that and then subvert it at the end if you can for cheap laughs. What was the end of that bit? Was that the sad glad bit? Yes. What was the, that was the payoff for the the. Uh, I, think I don't remember was... the payoff. I just remembered, like, a, that isn't a joke that sticks out for me. What sticks out was, like, oh, wow, Ewan's is having his cake and eating it. Like, it really was emotionally affecting. It really did deepen the show and give it more texture and that kind of stuff. Yes, I can't remember what the, the end was, but I think it was subverted pretty pretty quickly. Not quickly, but, like, sharply. Yes. Let's talk about your one big trick that you were talking about earlier on. Yeah. Which is to, like, you... The reason it's such a big rug pull is that you... Like, uh, there's a clip of the bit that you did on the paddock, right, which people can watch online. Um, uh. It's on YouTube. The gag of, like, there's a, there's, you're showing the Great Fire of London and you've superimposed names onto certain buildings in a sort of very Great Fire of London-era-looking woodcut-type picture. Yeah. Where did the fire start? Was it the butcher? Was it the baker? Or was it something like Torchy McWobbly's Lantern Factorium? Or something, something like that. Sounds right to me. Yeah, yeah, so... Like, that is a really you kind of a joke, right? Because you're... It's... We're expecting something different to Candlestick Maker. We're expecting something that isn't the usual third. But it's not just slightly not that. 
It's wildly not that. Sure. I suppose the question is, do you, do you think that you are... Like, you, you kind of frame it here as, that's my one trick that I do. Mm. Do you... Like, how, how are you so good at doing that trick? You can do that trick to me for the rest of my life, and I, as an audience member, will be really happy. I can't watch four pullback and reveals in a row, but, the, but, but I can is, watch you do that a hundred times in a row. But it is a pullback and reveal. And pullback and reveals have become... Well, I guess you always have felt right because they were effective beyond the effort needed to, to produce them. Yeah. But I think it's because I've animated them. People go, you know what, fair play. A bit of effort's gone into that pullback and reveal. <laughs> and Do also, you... sometimes the camera is a literal pullback and reveal. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, right. I mean, that is literally, it pulls back and, and reveals it. Okay. But it, it's not just, it's like the, um, or the dinosaur one with the green screen, where you're talking about, there's your face and there's a dinosaur in the background on a literal, on a green screen, but like you can't see the green screen, it's an animated shot, there's your face, talk to a piece of camera, dinosaur behind you, and then you, as presenter, pointing out what's going on, then says, uh, then you say, um, obviously that was done with green screen, we'll show you the reality now, obviously we're all expecting no dinosaur, and it's actually the real dinosaur is on a green screen soundstage with eyeballs on pencils being wiggled around for you. Yes. Is that a pullback and reveal? No, it's a switcheroo, right? It's a, it's a. But again, it's wildly not what we were thinking. Yeah, but it still comes from the same, the same place, the same mentality of you thought this would happen, but this has happened. I want to be as good at. Tell me how I can be as good as you are at coming up with those. That's that's the question. Like I, what? What do you? Is that learnt? Is that just intrinsically no, I think that's you? That's innate, isn't it? That's just how people. That's just people's sense of humour. I don't think that particular thing can be... I mean, of course, you can learn that sort of stuff. What are you, what are you, what are you, what are you asking? You want me to give you all my secrets? <laughs> but that's the whole point of this podcast, <laughs> is I take the secrets, and then the best ones I leave out of the episode and simply learn from. I think that's just that's just your innate personality, isn't it? That desire to be cheeky and go... And to be a little bit smart, but not that much. So what was the first funny thing you did publicly as a kid? Uh, did a... I can't remember as a child. Um, I remember doing a, like a, a speech in year 11. Did like a, did basically stand up with a projector screen. Really? On. Yeah. And then in year... For, for why? What was the... What was the it was the end of year 11 and I sort of just roasted the teachers a little bit. And were you... Were people surprised to see you do that, or were you like class clown kind of material? A bit of both, maybe. I was quite, I was quite shy. I'm quite, in, I enjoy being the centre of attention, but only when it's been earned. I don't particularly care for attention. Uh, just be, you know, I don't think it's a deserve always. But I like being able to demonstrate. Oh look, this is a funny, clever thing I've done. Um, and were you, you're, you're pretty intelligent, right? You work. What's your day job? Oh, I don't want to talk about... This is why I didn't want to do this interview until I was a big, rich, famous man. I uh, have a part-time job, very lucky to have it, where I work, do a bit of computer stuff in a factory in Bristol, and we make components for jet engines. And when you say you which do... Which is a boom market now, Goldsmith. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Let me tell you that. Anyone looking for a plane? <laughs> um, and when you do a bit of computer stuff, like, you, you're very well versed like you do computer stuff that would probably on the seem like wizardry to me because I don't understand it right like you cousin yeah yeah but then I think yeah okay right 
Yeah. So I'm just trying to get a sense of who you were as a kid and whether you were a smart kid who was like, it's, it's a, a frequent comedy trope, isn't it? Of like, I'm a smart kid, I'm bored, so I'll play up. Yes. Because I'm not moving, the class isn't stretching me. Yeah, and unfortunately, we had a whole class full of people with that mentality. <laughs> we were, what, I mean, we got through 12 maths teachers in a year once. Awful fucking. 12? Yeah, because it was a, a sort of, it wasn't a horrible state school or normal school, as I would call it. Um, but we just, uh, all of us in that in that set, we were in the sort of the, what do you call them? The top set, maybe. Uh-huh. And we were just dicks because we were like, well, we could probably get GCSEs, maybe maybe not do very well in them, but probably pass them with not a huge amount of effort. And we just fucked about for, uh, you know, all of our <laughs> secondary education. Don't leave that in. That sounds like an awful smug. Twenty percent of my year failed to get any uh, GCSEs. Oh my god! No, no mistake. Twenty percent got them. Eighty percent failed. Wow! To get five. GCSEs. Can I leave that in? I think that's a bit of an insight into you because I remember kids like you at school. Um, I remember one or two kids like you at school who were funny and smart and didn't seem to have. I'm putting this on you. Maybe this isn't who you were, but who didn't seem to have to work to be successful so they could afford to fuck about mm. like quite high status funny people and I'd be there kind of like a bit enamoured kind of going oh they're so cool and funny but I've got to get on with the stuff because I can't I'm not that smart so I'm interested if you are if you were because you're not me not me uniquely I don't think maybe. no no but that's even more interesting if it was just a year that happened to be or a group that a happened to be all personalities yeah. like that I mean, again, I guess maybe to be to be fair to myself and arrogant, maybe it turned out that I was the only one that could get away with it. But <laughs> nonetheless, hijinks were enjoyed for many for many years. So did that speech, and then in year one of the years we did we did a science project, and it could be either you could do a two minute presentation to class, or you could make a poster. Basically, you just talk about a particular science topic in an interesting way. And me and three mates made a 20-minute-long sketch show on video <laughs> that we then showed to the class. And do you remember how it went down? Was very it well, very well. And, you were, and I was like, oh, everyone, as soon as it finished, people started talking about it. And you were like, oh, fuck, I've done a good thing. And I was like, oh, this is a nice feeling. So what is it that you needed from comedy when you started doing it? What do you mean? What is that? What? What? Hey, what? What do you need from Colin to start doing it? I just, I've always enjoyed being funny, and I wanted to try and be funny. That's a, that's a cryptic uh, answer to what is frankly a baffling question. <laughs> what do you What do you mean? What do I need out of comedy? Well, I think I I'm really fascinated by what you what you your personality what you need out of life. I need to do better. Each year than the year before. That makes me that makes me less sad. That makes me not sad. As long as I can say year on year out that I'm busy and things have gone better, then that's 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 it. Yeah. Well, this the thing that's very similar to my own kind of view on it. Like I I often have probably said on this podcast that a thing clicked for me a few years ago when I realised it genuinely for me is better to travel hopefully than to arrive. Right. So one of the things that I love about comedy is that it's never finished and I'll never be perfect at it. So I can always be learning. So there's always a new thing to fascinate me and and sort of keep me obsessed. There's always a new thing. There's always like you, you, the, the blade will never be sharp enough. <laughs> the blade is a terrible right. idea. I'm not suggesting that's my wits. What I mean is that the puzzle will never be finished. Yeah. So that 
seems similar but also very different because I don't have I think anything like your confidence or your imagination or those sorts of things so like I know the reasons why I'm doing comedy and I feel like I'm quite a sort of anxious person that needs validation and you don't seem to have any of those qualities so there are all all I'm getting at is there are there are things about you that I think are like oh I'm a bit like that there are things about you that are wildly different I'm like what drives you (laughs) well I do need validation I just don't I don't desire it week in week out I'm quite content to do a nice big project here and there and do a you know film something every now and then I don't need a constant every Friday and Saturday someone to tell me Oh, you were great. I'll just I'll wait. I'll wait until I've got something worth showing. So when you're when you're building a thing for a joke, when you're when you're coding a computer game so that a member of the audience can play it and deliberately run a car over a kid or whatever the whatever the fucking hell, girl, and that's one of yours. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> whatever, whatever the thing is that you're putting a huge amount of man hours, person hours into uh, your into a joke before you find out whether an audience are going to laugh at it. Yes. So you obviously believe in it. Do you have you ever put a load of stuff put a load of work into something to then discover that it isn't funny? Yeah, loads of times. Have you? Yeah. Because I wondered I was trying to work out which way you've done it, whether you just work hard all the time at making stuff and some of it sticks, or whether you just have the confidence that a thing you're going to spend 12 hours on is definitely going to work first It's time. a bit of both. Certainly, if you're going to go to the effort of making something for ages, you're reasonably confident it's going to work. But there are times where the last show had a, a video game that wasn't particularly of value. That took a long time. What was, to, the, what was that? Which one? That was the idea... What was it? People were driving a van around a little environment, but to give the impression that they were driving at night time, I'd remapped all the buttons on the controller to, to do something differently. So going forwards made the van go left, yeah, okay, and yeah. going left made the horn go. Yeah, and it's funny for like twenty seconds, but then you're like, well, I spent a month making this, so we're going to watch <laughs> it for four minutes, and there wasn't really an ending. But yeah, so stuff you do occasionally. The, find, I think two shows previously, two shows prior to that, was the one with the in the like the China shop. Yeah. Where you walked up, you were knocking all the china, and then you shot the guy. The shot end. the the son. Um, <laughs> lot of children being killed. A lot, lot of dead kids in a huge show. Um, but that 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 I was sort of annoyed by that game because that is that's the perfect not not necessarily that is the perfect way of doing uh, a game or doing a joke about games. But as a concept, that is the perfect way of having someone play a game, and you give the illusion of agency. They smash around a few plates and whatnot. And then they think they're talking to a shopkeeper and they shoot his son. So you take that agency away, but the audience know that you've done that, but it looks like he's shot the child. So I've never been able to think of a way of doing those kind of games as well as that. Yes, oh, so that's the apex of your kind of computer yeah, game. Because a, kind of a lot of the sort of interactive stuff I do is all based on give the illusion, give the illusion of control and take that control away in certain circumstances. Like you mentioned that paddock thing, the thing with the um, driving the car. Yeah. Like has a is a hazard perception test where people have to shout test. out, and they appear to have the okay. So you give them the illusion of control and you take it away. Oh, that's definitely another kind of you thing. What what other things? There's obviously your inverted commas one big trick that you mentioned earlier on. What other things do you? What other kind of? Uh, what's the word like? Uh, formulae do you have? What other kind of tropes are particularly you? Oh, that's a good question. Thank you. Finally, some respect for my abilities as an interviewer. Uh, I don't. I can't. I don't know off the top of my head. Those. Those would be the two main ones. 
Sticking stuff on your head it's always always gets <laughs> You do put a lot of stuff on your head. Um, gaffer taping things around your face. Gaffer taping things around your face. Um, that's it, really. The, the illusion of control. Um, what was the other one? Creating an environment. You do quite a lot of... Or you do kind of like cutaway gags where you put unusual objects together. Oh, I know one technique. The call forward. Very proud of this one. Oh, yeah, go on. So let's say you've got a shit joke that doesn't quite work, but you spent a long time on it. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Place that later in the show and then have an innocuous comment about it early on. <laughs> so when you get to your shit joke that you'd written originally, it feels like an amazing callback. <laughs> I absolutely can recognise that moment from a lot of your oeuvre. All right, mate. I've got, I've got, I should have written these down over the years. I've got loads of like little techniques that I've thought up. And every now and then when I'm struggling to think of a bit, I'll go, all right, you could do, you could steal that oh, yeah. Do Do that thing again. Do yes. that. You should write those down. Yeah. As is going compared to other ones. All right. I, very good. Oh, I just hate this sort of stuff, but I'm sure it's... Why do you hate this sort of stuff? Because it just feels very self-indulgent. I know that's the premise of the of the show, but I just I wouldn't want to listen to me talking about shit. I just want to see the finished product. But you've listened to a couple of other episodes with people you well, know. I listen like. to mates. Yeah, that's true. But broadly speaking, I'd listen to the weird people. <laughs> <It'd> be weird. <laughs> um, Matt Smith has a question. Have you heard of social media and why don't you use it? Well, now everyone else, everyone else is shilling themselves slice by slice, but Ewan's is nowhere on the internet. Well, apparently, I think I am. I think I think there is a uh, Matt Ewan's Twitter account. Yeah, there so we are. Get on that. I, I love that you updates. only think there are. Um, uh, Joe Hollingworth asks because your comedy and your tech are constantly changing. Are there any gags involving tech that you'd love to do again, but either the joke's outdated or you've changed too much to perform it? He's saying I've got too fat to, <laughs> to fit in the camera. Yeah, well, I think, as we were alluding to earlier, yeah, because when all these apps and whatnot come out, you can't, you can't do the same sort of stuff anymore. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's pretty much the same question. Oh, it's same pretty questions. much the same question. Um, Jake Donaldson says, on your podcast with Kearns, which we know is called Microscope, Microscope. I, I can't even know, say it. I know he listens to it because I get so excited when someone follows the um, what do you call it? Twitter. Yep. Uh, because I've, I've not been gigging. There's no no mean laugh. No laugh to hear. I've been getting a little thrill when everyone follows the Microscope Twitter account, which is what, called what? At Microscope Fun. <laughs> Going to call it at Microscope Pod, but then because you got Pod in your one, I was like, no, I want to stay away from that, <laughs> which I now regret because. It seems a bit odd. Uh, the, and I know the, he... best, the best Twitter handle is uh, Sunil Patel Solutions. <laughs> it's oh, fucking brilliant. But I'm sure it suffers from the same thing of like it not being clear that it's for comedy. But I've heard, I've seen this lad. I think he's a comic in his own right. I believe it? he is. Yes, he is. Jay Donaldson definitely is. Yeah. He says on your podcast with Kearns at Microscope Fun, how much of his annoyance with John is real and how much is put on for the show? Oh, all of it is real because it's just just get on with it. And like, it's so mean. I'm basically asking John to riff half hour of gold. Well, to riff an hour of gold that I'll condense to half hour, and then sometimes he'll just like because he thinks he's playing like just a minute or something because he's riffing. He'll just list ingredients or cloves, and I'm like, mate, shut the fuck up and get on with it. We're not we're not playing for time. We need to get to some meat. <laughs> um. 
Uh, Joe Hollingworth says, also, probably a noob question, but what ideas have you had to abandon because you just can't get the tech or the joke to work? Uh, VR. Want to do a big VR? Come on, let's tell me about VR. So I, I will do this. It's just going to be months of effort, which is why I don't mind selling it now, because hopefully no one nicks it. Um, but I want to basically have two screens set up in the room, because I guess the issue with VR is it's such a sort of singular experience. How do you make that work in a group environment? Um, but put the VR headset on someone and... On one screen, you can see what they're seeing. So they're in a garden. They tend into their, you know, fruit and whatnot. And their wheelbarrow. But on the other screen, show what's actually happening. Because what's happened is they're like, they're a doctor on an acid trip. So when they're going around pruning their vegetables in what they can see, they're actually just attacking patients. <laughs> their wheelbarrow tri- trimmings of someone tossing a wheelchair out the window. So that's my plan. I want to do um, VR, but I've just not had the time to do that. Because okay. it's... I mean, you've got to make two games in effect, haven't you? And also buy a VR headset and learn how to program it. Two questions from Hymin Lee. When he appeared on Live from the BBC in 2018 with his Adventure Man 7 show, I noticed some odd changes. One, I thought the screen was tiny for a room that size and it didn't lend itself well to the hidden-in-plain-sight jokes littered throughout. Yeah, that's, I would, would have preferred a bigger screen. Uh, and it came directly out of my pay for that Did so it? I was like just buy a bigger one I mean you, you, you're not paying for it anyway I'm having a reduced fee for it oh. yeah no it wasn't uh, it wasn't giant uh, question two Adventure Man let's was that, was, what was that question that wasn't a question there that was a statement that was a statement oh well, thank but you answered the statement fair, you know fair enough <laughs> question two Adventure Man let's deport the Chinese was changed to Portuguese were those changes asked for by the BBC uh, some changes were that change I made myself because um, at the time, before this new Cold War, it felt uh, that you were punching down to attack people of uh, Chinese origin. Now, of course, with the start of World War Three, maybe I uh, wouldn't think like that. <laughs> maybe attacking individual <laughs> Chinese people is fine. Don't put that in. <laughs> Fucking hell. Is there something self-destructive about how you work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and music. Set the little jingle in, yeah. Sell some beer, whatever it is you do. Yeah, of course there is. You know, it's all like, you know, it's a mixture of self harm and also self aggrandizing. That's what you want, isn't it? You want a sad little bit at the end. Yes, please. Are you happy? Was it, are you happy? I often ask people if they're happy. I had no idea what that was, and then um, Pete. Was it Pete Dobbin? Did it at your, the best man speech of your wedding? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what people were laughing. <laughs> Must have missed a bit, I thought. Um, yeah, but it, it's definitely self-destructive. Why? Why? Because... Oh, what a sad, sad little bit at the end, is it? Mate, you because... won the promo for At Microscope Fun. You've oh, got to answer yeah, the questions. Please watch Microscope you got to s- submit the process. Um, I think it comes down to, as we were talking about earlier, or alluded to earlier, this idea of a combination of being arrogant and also self-loathing. Yeah, there's element of self-loathing, and that comes with it, um, if not physical self-harm, then career self-harm. Hence, fucking around. But also, it's fun to do. It's like self-harming, but, you know, with, like, those fun scissors. <laughs> 
<laughs> the ones that made little wavy lines. And not advocating that that should happen. My opinions only apply to myself. Of course. And self-harm is a serious issue and there's probably a phone number you can ring if you're affected by that This is why I do this interview, Stu, because I'm going to lose a lot of people that have probably found me agreeable before this. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think this is a, a, a welcome insight mm. into who you really are, the man adjacent to the screen. Yeah. I suppose that's probably the best kind of self-harm. If you're going to self-harm, then do it in a fun do, way. Do it in a fun way. Yeah. I, I get it. All the provisos you've just said. I'll not advocate <laughs> for any of that. I don't know. I feel like I want to dig a bit deeper into that. I don't want to pry, but like... But that why, is what, what self-harm is, isn't it? It's, it's deliberately making... Well, it's literally attacking yourself so that people go, oh, no, don't do that, you're great. Is it that? I don't know if it is that, but let's say it is that for you. Isn't so, that what... OK, not always, but some, but, but self-harm is, in, again, in some cases, is a cry for help. Maybe. I don't or know. Attention. I do know it's a serious issue that I don't know enough about clinically. Let's not, let's not, <laughs> let's not dwell on that then, Goldsmith. But in terms, in terms of the way you framed it as it pertains to you... Hmm. Do you feel that it is a, a kind of that element of it, the elements of your refusal to, you know, what I mean, the, the elements of your career in which you value having a laugh or being provocative or funny over and above career advancement, those sorts of things, right. are they mostly to do with, oh, it's just a bit of effort? It's too much effort, or are they mostly to do with you deliberately shooting yourself in the foot? Because if you had to put something out there and stand by it and say, I honestly believe in this and feel like this, none of this is in inverted commas, this is real and this is how I feel, then you would be opening yourself up to potential criticism. Yeah, I think that's probably... That's, would you expect that? Is that fine? That's probably fair. It's, pro- it's probably not a either-or. There's a combination of it both being fun, but as you say, a desire to not fail... So is that is that rooted in school because you were a clever kid and you wanted to stay being a clever and funny kid? Like, is that that kind of winner's thing whereby people are like arguably arrogant kind of winning mentality people? Are they often perfectionists or terrified of failure, terrified of criticism? I don't know. And also, like, I might have been, you know, a bit smart at school, but not for long. I didn't, didn't do particularly well in my A-levels. I failed the last year of my degree... Partly because I was too busy writing Gagtanamo Bay. Um, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not super smart. I've no, I d- Kearns told me, and I regret that I didn't heed his advice sooner, is that what you'll do is you'll ask a sort of vague question, but then stop talking. <laughs> encouraging the guest to fill it with waffle. Uh, so I'm going to stop talking and hope that you follow up with a different question, or the same question, but just in a chance for me to collect my thoughts. Oh wait! Well, you collect your thoughts. <laughs> what was the question again? Well, you I saying, think... "Am I sad?" You should. Let's go with that. Are you sad? No, not all the time. Sometimes, everyone. But everyone is. I, I, this side, and again, only applying opinions to myself. I think I, I personally try not to put someone's mental or my own mental well-being on some sort of pedestal and go, oh, "Look at me! I'm the sad little boy." It's no one cares. So try and write a fun show, and then maybe people will care for an hour, or based on some of the underrunning lengths of my show a lot, a lot less I'm doing my thing of being quiet in the hope I just think we're on interesting territory here and I know you're resistant to it we are but I just what, what, I mean, I'm happy to talk more on it I just need another a question to, to prompt some more chat 
I don't know. What do I want to know? I've got it. Sometimes I find it like I've got a, I've got kind of like podcaster mode, and then it's almost like when you do a fake voice. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Because you go, oh, I'm podcasting, and actually I'm not. You're my friend, and I think you're like I, I care about your mental well-being. I'm not worried about you, but I do. I do think it's interesting that you. Yeah, just that term. Like I said, are you? Do you have a self-destructive thing? You're like, yes. Like that obviously resonates with you. So what's what's the question that I want to ask? Do you want to fix that, or are you content to remain self-destructive? Um, no, I would like I would like that to be fixed, and I guess the the fix is to have had things go well enough that you can't <laughs> you can no longer disrupt them enough that they don't. I don't think that is the fix. I no? don't think that is. I think that's the fix a lot of people are craving. But yeah. that's an external thing, isn't it? Because you'll, you know, you'll win an award, and the the self-loathing person will win an award or get a TV show, and then ruin it for themselves by folding it into their mantra of self-loathing. Sure. Well, then that because I'm not self-loathing. I'm quite an eager boy that is quite keen to do well. <laughs> a lonely, sad, eager, happy boy. Again, that's the duality of Ewan's. <laughs> So that was Ewins. What a joy. Oh, my Lord. Um, more content, 30 minutes or so of extra stuff with Matt Ewins available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Thank you to Matt for finally submitting to being on the show. Do check out Microscope. You can follow them on Twitter at Microscope Fun. Uh, as uh, Matt points out, that doesn't tell you it's a podcast. Uh, you can listen to it on Acast or, I don't know, Spotify, iTunes, wherever else you get your stuff. Um, and wherever you get your sweet stuff. And uh, you can also go to mattewins.com. One T in Matt, mattewins.com. It's a very funny website, and I can assure you the picture is not him. But do check out Matt on Harry Hill uh, on Club Night. There's some brilliant clips there. There's a really good kind of introductory place to find him. And, of course, on his occasional appearances on The Infinite Sofa. That's everything. Thank you, Nathan, for editing the show. Thank you so much to uh, to Pete Dobbing, podcast consultant, Jake Crossland for the logging, Rob Smouten for the music, and that is that. We've still got in the can, who have we got? Laurie Kilmartin, Alistair Beckett-King. We've got a couple of other people um, in the diary. Oh, Colt Cabana, that was an amazing one. Colt, I should say Colt Cabana, but I'm too English for that. Um, we've got our very first wrestler, and that's a phenomenal, I mean, wrestler and, and kind of comedy wrestler, and real wrestler, and real comic as well. He's done stand-up too. So that's a, a banger of an episode coming your way very soon. So keep it locked. Is that the sort of thing we do here? Yeah, we do. It's episode 350. Why not keep it locked to comedianscomedian.com? I don't know how you'd go about doing that, but if you are able to lock a thing to a thing, please do. 350 episodes. I feel I owe you a postamble. Um, yeah, let's um, let's... Let's have a post-amble. Thank you for listening. I'll chat to you in a second. But thank you. 350. What a joyous thing. Here's just a little post-amble. Um, I, I, I've got some things to say about the Kim Noble episode. I don't know if I should do them uh, now because we should simply be celebrating that it's episode 350. But if you are interested, if you if you were struck by uh, that episode and some of the revelations therein. And I know on the on the ComCom Facebook group, people have been talking about it. Thank you for posting about it. I'm always happy to know what people think. It is certainly true that I did not 
preface the Kim Noble episode with much in the way of, I don't mean a content warning, but more of a sort of a precise flag. I didn't flag exactly who and what Kim Noble does to the extent that people were warned about some of the content. Is that fair? Um, Kim Noble is a performance artist. He works within comedy and the medium in which he works is sometimes difficult issues of consent and what it means to to sort of use someone else in your work. Um, and to me, I suppose I took a lot of that for granted. I have a kind of, not exactly performance art, but a sort of devising art, kind of wanky, college arty background. And so I've grown up on a diet of people like Stellark, who attaches himself to cyborgs of his own making, or Franco B, who sprays his blood everywhere while suspending himself from hooks. And so by the standards of that kind of work, um, the the medium in which Kim Noble works of doing things that are provocative and difficult and challenging, not simply the kind of stuntier element of it, going around someone's house and trying to buy their um, their offered uh, treadmill and then having a go on it and staying on it for an hour and then asking to have a shower in their house and then turning it into a bath with the door locked. All of that kind of stuff, that's difficult, but that's the kind of warmer, fuzzier end of some of the work he does. And if you look, if you look online, if you look at any of the reviews of Guardian Review of, of You're Not Alone or his other excellent show, The Name of Which Temporarily Escapes Me, you will see that we barely scratch the surface of some of the trickier and more disturbing, honestly, work that he does. If you go to Kim Noble's website, you will see him... A, a short film he's made of him finding the dead body of a pigeon and attaching it to a firework and launching it. My point is not that any of this is acceptable in the way that we might find normal comedians a bit challenging, you know. But I think that the medium in which he works is the difficulty of, you know, the guts, the viscera of consent and what it means to... Uh, to be part of a process on purpose and what it means to sort of take those things for granted. And I think it is a bigger and longer conversation than I freely admit than we had on the show because I have seen some of his work and been very challenged and very struck by it. What I didn't bring to that interview was, hey, this stuff's problematic. How do you, how do you justify it? I was quite interested in meeting the man behind the work. So... I suppose that's a clarification. It's not an apology. I'm not apologising for anything in that episode. Um, but the the work that Kim does is difficult. And I think it is considered and measured. And it's for you or it's not for you. So if you're someone who thought that uh, I kind of gave him an easy ride somehow that I didn't put my hand up and go, wow, recording your neighbours having sex through the wall is not cool. I kind of, I think that he and I both know that that isn't cool. It's not allowed. It's not legal. Um, but that is the medium in which he works. So for my own part, I could certainly have flagged it more at the top of the show that we were going to talk about some things lightly when they are serious subjects. But that's what I have to say on it. So thank you for everyone. You can continue that conversation on the ConCom Facebook group. I will put a note in that chat now to direct people to this bit. Um, but yeah, I'm really interested that people were engaging with it because 
his job, his his role as an artist is not simply to get laughs, but it is to be challenging and to be provocative and to inspire these kind of conversations. I'm not saying that's his role as he defines it. I think all art is attempting an answer to the question, how should we live? And I think his art does that and it is valid as art, regardless of whether or not it's OK to do that kind of stuff. Capiche? Capouche. Thanks, gang. 350. Let's get back to the celebratory thing. I'm very proud to have brought you 350 episodes of ComCom. I always used to say in the early days that I would do it until I die. I may continue to do it until I die, but the lovely thing about having recorded a load of stuff and put it online is that I can die at any point, really. (laughs) And I still will have done it until I died, even if I stop now and live a further 40 years and then die. Um, I'll still really, from the perspective of anyone in the future, I'll really... Well, I... No, 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 no. You've got to do it until you die. In order to do it until you die, you actually have to do it up until the point of death. Ideally, in a sort of beautifully incognito way, the best case scenario would be if I croak mid-blurb. Maybe I should start, you know, mid-postamble. Maybe I should start live streaming these to producer Nathan such that if I cark it, uh, at least you get to hear it. (laughs) What a lovely sentiment to celebrate 350 episodes of the Comedian's Comedian podcast. I'm Vince Goldsmith. I'll speak to you next time. (laughs) 